You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast here on Monday afternoon. Having just heard from Matt Rule, it felt like a great time to get the gang together. Michael Brunch, Brian Christopherson, of course, I am Mike Schaefer. We are Husker 24-7. How's everybody, like, any any injuries? Should we do our own injury report? Brunch, how's the back doing? <laughs> it's always bad. Um, I'm, I'm day-to-day, but I'm, I'm uh, enough coffee and and. Advil basically get you through about anything minus like, you know, linemen being tackled into your knees, that kind of thing. BC, your knees, are they holding up well? Knees are fine. I have a neck injury, though. Mm-hmm. It's uh, been bugging me a little bit. I'd probably be like Nick Henrich last this last Saturday where you'd have to hold me down in plays and maybe uh, maybe that would push me to more reps going forward. But yeah, it's 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 not ideal. I'm now to that age where you just sleep funny. And you wake up and you're like, I might need Tommy John surgery for some reason because I slept on my shoulder weird. You know, it's just it's it's really unfortunate when you start to wander into those years. I, I was thinking to myself, I don't think Tommy John surgery has anything to do with necks. But then you explain that the shoulder was in there and it still would <laughs> would be more of an elbow thing. Don't uh, you guys ever wake up nowadays like and you're like, what the what the stink? You know, it's yeah, like you, uh, you're definitely the, that crick in your neck where you can't turn. Yeah. Like beyond just like a little, like you have to do a bunch of peripheral vision. <laughs> yeah. Like I've, I've had that. It, you know, hopefully, hopefully by Saturday you're good to go that we don't have to turn your chair so you can see certain angles of Memorial <laughs> stadium up there in the press box, you know, but if but we have to, we'll do that. When I get down on the floor to play with my kids now, I, I look like Larry Bird looked in like 1992. I'm always kind of like down there with like a towel kind of just underneath my chin, just visibly in pain. That's basically the, the default now is 92 Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's get, up, get up and kind of run like this. You're not like Magic Johnson still trying to prove that you're the guy and then Jordan's showing you otherwise. You're, you're, no. you're just like, I'll sit this one out. Yeah, no, just, uh, just on, on, on the end of the bench down there. My favorite part is that you're referencing basketball players from, you know, 30 years ago. Like that, Dream Team that, documentary. You know, that only just <laughs> enhances the whole thing, but absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's dive into some of the injuries that people actually want to hear about. No offense, guys, but uh, the ones that may matter as it relates to Nebraska football on Saturday, they, they're they now without, I believe, six starters from the, uh, from the August game against Minnesota, um, depending on how you want to count Nate Borkercher and Thomas Fedoni, I think. I would consider them both starters, but uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely down. What's the latest run of injury news, Brunts? What did we learn today? Uh, well, Turner Corcoran is done for the year uh, with a foot injury. Um, Ethan Piper as expected, um, not he, he's done. Um, it sounds like he's actually got a pretty long road ahead recovery wise. Um, he had knee surgery or is going to be having knee surgery. Uh, Nori Noelle, Matt Rule didn't really get into specifics on him, but he's probably going to be out one to two weeks, they think. Um, Billy Kemp with a sprained MCL, looking at a few weeks there. And anybody else I'm missing from the uh, – Well, Tommy Hill is back. Tommy Hill is day-to-day. They're hoping he can practice tomorrow. So that was the lone bit of good injury news um, that came from that press conference today. And then they released the depth chart. And uh, a lot of names that were not on there before who are now suddenly backups uh, along the offensive line, including uh, Jacob Hood at right tackle. Uh, Tyler Knack is now at backup guard. And 
Gunnar Gatula back as the uh, the second string left sledge, tackle behind. Sledge on there. See, he's the the backup left guard, um, and then Gatula's behind Prohaska at the left tackle spot. So, totally new group uh, in there, and there's not very many scholarship linemen left that they could have thrown on there, anyways. Yeah. So if we run through this really quickly, Jeff Sims has basically not played since getting injured against Colorado. He did have one snap against uh, Louisiana Tech, I think, in there. They have lost two running backs for the year in Gabe Irvin and Ramir Johnson. They are down four wide receivers, three to injury, one quit the team. Uh, Billy Kemp expected back, though, which is better news than what it maybe seemed like was potentially coming. Um, The way that that injury occurred and uh, there's a lot of players that were were dapping him up on the sidelines, the, the sort of scene that you expect when a guy is potentially done. And then, of course, Isaiah Garcia, Castaneda, Marcus Washington done for the year as well. Xavier Betts, the one that quit the team. At tight end, remarkably healthy. Uh, and then on the offensive line, you don't have your left tackle, your left guard, your right guard, but you still have your center and your right tackle. So that, uh, that accounts for Nebraska's offense at the moment. Um, all right, so... Let's just sort of tackle some of this. Teddy Prohaska will be the left tackle for Nebraska in the game against Purdue on Saturday and in the, the subsequent four games you would anticipate too beyond that. So the last time we saw Teddy Prohaska for extended periods of time, he really struggled against Michigan, uh, looked to constantly be chasing his man after the snap, which is not a thing you want to see from your left tackle. I don't recall him going into the game on Saturdays, I don't really have a lot of memory of, of Teddy Prohaska playing against Northwestern. Um, Brunch, you've watched it, you said several times. I mean, when when did he enter the game and how did he look after? Uh, well, he was he was primarily as kind of like the extra tight end uh, or like in the jumbo packages. And to your point about Michigan, Matt Rule actually addressed that a little bit today that he he said at the time they didn't feel like Teddy was really a hundred percent was still kind of shaking off some rust and they feel like he's past that now. I mean, that's been what three weeks now. Um, and, and they feel like he's in a better spot than maybe he was against Michigan. I mean, you know, going in there against Michigan, that's a tall ask for anybody, let alone a guy that's been through as many injuries as Teddy has. So, they, he called him a starter. He said he's a starter for them. They feel confident what he can do. We'll see how that looks. I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of clamoring for Teddy for a long time for people. And we'll see how it looks. I mean, it, you know, he he has not played a, a ton of football where he's been the the left tackle. So uh, that, that remains to be seen. But um, sounds like you got Justin Evans Jenkins next to him. And when you kind of lose like a whole side of the line, that's always – slightly concerning i think versus just maybe a guy missing here or there yeah and so then bc what's it look like on the interior now for nebraska well if there was one uh bright ray it's that uh um ben scott's healthy i guess or at least enough to go um he was down on the turf on saturday so he's your center and then uh, henry latovsky would probably be your right guard you know latovsky he's not a young, young player anymore. He's been in the program a few years and um, has played quite a few snaps last season. He's played about 90 to a hundred this year. So we'll see if, if he can build on it. He's had some ups and downs. There's no question about it, but they've felt good enough about Latovsky that he was like the sixth or seventh guy that they would always like pencil in a series or two to come in for Nuri anyway. So, I mean, if you're trying to look at this glass half full, Prohaska at least has started before Justin Evan Jenkins, I think is a player they're pretty excited about. And he's obviously a versatile guy and Latovsky's played a share of snaps. So um, they're, they're definitely dwindling in bodies and you don't want to see one more guy go down. Uh, but for the front five that they're going to put out there against Purdue, I would say there's at least a fighting chance because they're guys who um, have at least played some college football before. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be the the thing that I wanted to kind of get to here. And it's not to diminish the guys that are going to be out, but it's it's hard for me to perceive there being a large drop from what they were already doing to what the expectation I have for them uh, in the upcoming game against Purdue and beyond. I think really what it does is it just thins the rank so much that that next injury is going to feel even more crippling. And so... 
Um, I, I, where are you guys at? I mean, we'll start with Brian. I mean, with, with the offensive line, do you, do you anticipate thing that they, they have to call the game a lot differently now with, with this offensive line, or is it just as simple as, okay, it's the next guy up and we're not expecting a, a huge difference here. I think it's the next guy up, but I do also want to say, I, I tend to trust coaches more than I think some people do that they see so many practices and that there's a reason why this particular guy was like left tackle and this guy was behind him, you know? So um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say without seeing a full game of it that I think it's going to be just the same or they can, they can meet. I, I know that basically I think all of us on this podcast have described the O-line so far this year as okay. That's kind of like what we always come back to. They're okay. Like they've had some good moments. They've had 200 yards plus rushing in some games. Uh, and then there's been times where you felt like it, it was really uh, pulling teeth to get something done. So, um, you know, if this, if this crew um, can be close to that standard and they can just not drop the ball as much and, you know, have these situations where it's second and 15 by your own unforced errors, that would go a long way in um, us not really noticing a major drop-off. Frankly, if they just handled some of the basic things that have been missing as far as just these, uh, you know, missed exchanges and all these things that are putting them behind the change. So they have to absolutely avoid that to give that crew up front a chance to really show what they can do in reasonable down and distance opportunities. What are your thoughts, Brent? Yeah, I was I was thinking back to that Northwestern game. I I didn't I didn't notice a ton whenever Evans Jenkins came in. I, I thought for as many like moving pick pieces as they had in that game, I mean th there wasn't a huge drop off. I guess. I mean I I thought they were able to still do some things. Um, you know the thing that worries me a little bit is you're playing a Purdue team that's going to bring a lot of different pressures. They're going to give you a lot of different looks. And when you have so many new pieces in there, and I mean, you don't know how much guys have played together in practice. I mean, it's kind of a mishmash group right now. So the communication might be an issue early on. You've got to get that figured out. But um, th that's kind of the biggest, bigger concern to me is, is how you're able to do that against a Purdue defense that I think has the potential to create some issues with some of its scheme. I mean, whether they can do that personnel wise, I don't know, but um, at least scheme wise, you know, when, when Walters was at Illinois, I mean, they, they could get after you in different ways. And I think that's a little bit of a concern for me going into a game like this with basically, you know, three offensive linemen in there who are new. Yeah, we'll we'll have an opportunity to really kind of dive into that Purdue game with the hype cast coming up later this week. But I, I think the extra bye week and Ryan Walters being the sort of defensive mind that he is, that is a, a real reason for concern. So we we mentioned Billy Kemp with the MCL. I thought one of the most interesting things after the game on Saturday was when Matt Rule started talking right away about how they kind of built everything in that game around Billy Kemp, uh, which we didn't get to see. The injury happened early enough that it it sort of just you know there was a there's what a couple couple sort of designed Billy Kemp plays before he went out, um, but we didn't we didn't really get to experience whatever it was that they had put together there. What what does that mean for the wide receiver picture, Brian? I mean, obviously they were already down Marcus Washington and Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. Xavier Betts already left the team. We already knew that Malachi Coleman and Jalen Lloyd. And uh, Jaden Doss were going to play more, but now you have no Billy Kemp. What did what did you think that means as they go forward for at least the next couple of weeks with this as your likely situation? Well, the guy who's always forgotten is Alex Bullock. He plays about more snaps than anybody, so he'll play a lot. But then, yeah, Malachi's going to be out there a ton. I think this probably uh, clears up if Jaden Doss will redshirt or not. Um, it seems like he'll blow through that and play like six games. But and Rule said. There is value to that if you're actually play playing a guy, you know, where he's out there 35, 40 snaps or something like that, as opposed to three to five. So I have a feeling Doss's role is going to increase week by week as we go forward. Um, Jalen Lloyd's, you're kind of just waiting for him to have that play sort of like Malachi had on Saturday. It'll be interesting to me, Schaefer, like where Coleman goes from here. Because sometimes that is a jump start for a guy, even if it's just one play and 
it was basically you're just faster and you, you you ran by a guy and caught a pass. But, you know, some people say, well, what's the big deal about that? It still means a lot to have that moment where it kind of tips the game and you were the recipient or the reason for it. And so I have to think that's going to elevate him. And, um, you know, honestly, though, uh, Harburg's got to be on better than he was Saturday. Um, he did. Um, you know, uh, uh, some things okay, but I think he'd be the first to say he, he left a lot out there. And uh, Rule brought up the first play of the game, you know, the missed throw to Fedoni. He had Nate Borkertzer running wide open for a touchdown. He had uh, Malachi Coleman on another play. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, there's multiple of yeah. that instances. I actually think, you know, people say, uh, well, Coleman's caught two passes so far, or whatever it is. He's been open some. Um, so it's not like he's not, um, found some space. Um, so, you know, the QB has got to get the ball there and it's got to be efficient. I, I just hope the Heinrich shows up that played honestly against Michigan. Remember that game where even though it was a blowout, it felt like 12 at one point. Yeah. yeah, He, he looked like really confident throwing it and solving the passing game. If that Heinrich Harburg shows up and just puts it on those guys, they can go 11 to 17 or 11 to 16 and be efficient enough to uh, at least, you know, have yourself in the game in the fourth quarter with a chance to win it. Yeah, it, it does feel sort of funny at times, like they can't get it to line up just right. Like you'll have the guys breaking wide open, the throw's going to be behind them. And then you have other times where he hits his guy completely in stride or right as he turns around and it's just dropped. Yeah. And so it's they're just, they're just working through it. Like they're just an offense that's very much in disarray um, and they just don't have, quite the pieces that you would expect uh, for a big 10 caliber team. And certainly one that has recruited the way that they have, but their wide receiver issues were known. And naturally that's where they've experienced a lot of uh, injuries and, and, you know, everything else with that too. Uh, Let's kind of finish things up offensively here. Brunts, I want to ask you about Emmett Johnson. So he got the start against Northwestern. It seems like from Matt rules comments on Monday, we're going to expect more Emmett Johnson kind of moving forward. What did you make of, of, of him and and when you rewatch that game, what what do you think the realistic expectations are as we sort of move into these next five games? Teams are going to continue to load the box. You're still going to have to run. Um, do you think it's possible this is a guy that can average you know four four and a half yards a carry, or is that going to be tough at this point? I don't know. It, I, I think we said last week he kind of he reminds me of like young Ramir Johnson running and. I think that's what he can be. I mean, I, I I don't know that he's necessarily as as explosive as what Ramir was uh, and is. Um, but you know, I think he's a guy that you can count on to hit the hole with some burst. I think he's got relatively good vision. Um, but he he was like what twelve for right around seventy yards, I think on on Saturday. Which, I mean, that, that's you could probably do something with that. I mean, when when you combine that with um, you know, whatever Harburg's going to be able to do with his legs um, and, and, you know, what Anthony Grant ships in. I, I am curious to see if we see more of Josh Fleeks in, in some form or fashion. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think there's maybe an opportunity to get Emmett the ball and space a little bit more and, and maybe as a receiver. But, you know, I, I think he's been he's been fine. I mean, I, I think <laughs> there's part of me that, that that also says, you know, just fine is is just great for this offense uh, with the way things have been, you know, kind of so hard at times, but he hasn't done anything to lose a starting job yet. And I, I mean, I think you're going to see him out there again against Purdue. And I think he's getting a better understanding of the pass blocking too, which is always a, a little rough for sometimes for young guys. Let's take a quick time out. We'll, we'll come back. We'll talk about the defense. We'll talk about bowl projections. I put a poll out there, you know, apropos of nothing just listed Detroit, Las Vegas, New York City and uh, Phoenix. So I'll, I'll let you know what those results are. I'm, you're going to be shocked. You're just be shocked how many people voted for Detroit. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll dive into those things. We'll get into a little bit of recruiting, all that more when we return here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. I know some people on the podcast have a little bit of a schedule constraint coming up here. So I want to give Michael Brunts the opportunity to tell you, the listener, who James Williams is and why he was the only person in the press box that wasn't sneaking a peek at his roster on the first couple plays of the game. Brunts, you have the floor. It's James Williams. Everybody knows James Williams. Nobody knows James Williams. He he's had a, a kind of a unique journey. He was he was one of the guys that Nebraska discovered, signed, uh, got a commitment from um, out of their postgraduate camp this summer. That was a new addition where they hosted a camp for guys who were in the transfer portal, uh, JUCO guys and guys that had just recently graduated, just to see what was out there if they could add somebody potentially that could help them right away. James Williams had been uh, he's a Kansas City native. Uh, didn't have the grades out of high school, but made over 100 tackles as a senior uh, and didn't really have much recruiting juice behind his name. Uh, ended up in the junior college ranks and had a pretty solid freshman year. Uh, Rob Dvorak in- invited him down for uh, the-, the camp that they had. Um, and, and, you know, Williams kind of took advantage of the fact that there were like two or three defensive linemen in the entire camp. So it was just like rep after rep after rep after rep. And he caught the attention of Terrence Knighton. Um, had to sit down with Matt Rule, and Matt Rule basically said, we need you here. Uh, how soon can you get here? And that's how he ended up on the team. Um, you know, he'd been working on the scout team up until basically like Wednesday of last week, and they said, we need another guy that can rush the passer. That's exactly what James Williams excels in, and they found a place. And Brian, correct me, what do you have, seven snaps, nine snaps in that game? Uh, seven snaps. And he, I think was credited with one full tackle when you added him up, he was in on two of them. And, yeah. you know, real quick, I think it's interesting rule talked about, they went to that five man front more in that game. And that was why he kind of got elevated is they wanted another pass rusher for that. And that was an idea that Evan Cooper had and, uh, Tony white listened and said, let's do it. And, um, you know, I like when things are simplified for dumb guys like me and, it, you know, rule talks about why he likes that five man front is, you, you know, it's simple. You, you got to actually block five guys. Like, you know, you have to, every lineman on the other side of the ball has to do their job, right? Otherwise the play can break down. So with Nebraska and some of the young talent they have up and coming, they'll take their chances and say, you're not going to win five matchups against us. And Northwestern certainly didn't in that game. Yeah. Well, the the idea largely is it forces them to have to figure out what to do with Nash. And mm-hmm. then if you commit, you know, a tight end, then you're ended up winning that battle anyways, numbers wise. And then you get everyone else has a one on one rep. So it's yeah. uh, it, it basically to me felt like a way to kind of take away double and triple teams of Nash uh, Hutmaker. I'm going to work on saying his name more correctly. That's my goal. Uh, yeah, it's a challenge for me, but I'll I'll work on it. Um, sticking with the with the defense a little bit. I mean, BC, why why does it feel like every time they try something, it works? You know, it's like we're gonna throw Makai Bear in there, and then he has a great game against Colorado. We're gonna get uh, you know James Williams this opportunity, and he comes up big. We're gonna put in these other players, and they're gonna show up. And when they do, I mean, it just it feels like is it just they have their finger on the pulse of when these guys need to be on the field to give them their best chance of success? Or is it just as simple that they have a pretty good framework and they're able to slide pieces in and out and everything is moving in the right direction? So, of course, there's going to be some success off of that. I think it's a good framework that is confusing to opponents about exactly what they're going to see and when they're going to see it. I also think you have to give the staff on that side of the ball credit for knowing who fits their niche really well. Like they're not afraid, like on those snap counts we do, there'll be a game where Makai Bayer might have 40 snaps and then there'll be a game where he has 18 snaps. It's not because Makai Bayer was the worst player that week in practice. 
it's just like how the matchup fits and okay in the sort of the setup throughout the game what comes up and what plays to a player's strength so they have very they've done very well at identifying what situations in the game certain guys really are going to thrive in i think and the other thing i'd say is i think they have a high percentage of really good football thinkers like that are on that side of the ball like i mean we've had some guys who we didn't really interview a lot who have popped in suddenly this year, like Makai bear and Deshaun Singleton before he's hurt. And you listen to him talk and you're like, these guys are sharp. Like you can understand where they can process stuff from this new staff pretty quickly and, and then apply it. And so I, I think that's a big benefit when you have those type of guys where it's just like uh, they're quick, they're quick to, to pick stuff up and, and it's showing. So um, they're going to have to just keep going off of what they've been doing though, because as you know, they're going to have to win games, giving up only 10 points. And I like that rule challenged them and said, if you're up on a team by one point at halftime, it needs to be ball game. You need to say to yourself, like, we're not, we're not going to give up another a point, you know, as, as hard as that may be, that's the type of standard and mentality you got to have. And I think they're embracing that. James, James, yeah. James, James Williams talked about that, like how he was able to basically get in. Um, and it's, he boiled it down really, really nicely. I mean, they basically said, this is, this is your very narrow job that you have to do for us on Saturday. These are the specific positions that you're going to be in when you're going to do that. And I think it's, I think it's just easier rules talked about this too, about the difference between offense and defense and playing a lot of guys is I think you can do that a lot more easily on defense where it's like, you can make it so simple for guys where they are just going out and playing. I mean, you saw that with James one, I mean, you just, Go and get the quarterback, like win a one-on-one. That That's what you're doing out there. And, you know, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of magic to that. But I think sometimes it's, it's you know, Evan Cooper saying, look, let's just rush another guy and see what happens. Um, you know, with, with Makai Bayer, too. I mean, they, they were using him in ways that, you know, I, I think played more to his strengths. I mean, James Williams said, you know, I'm a pass rusher. That's what I do. That's like my strength. And. He wasn't in there on first down. He wasn't in there on obvious run plays. And I, I think I think when you have a large group of athletes on defense like Nebraska does, because I think they've got good players on that side of the ball too, I, I think the coaching staff is doing a really nice job of saying, like, I don't have to trust you to do everything, but I can trust you to do this little job. And th- that, I think, is empowering to players. And I think it also allows you to – you know, really kind of maximize what you have. I mean, I, I think sometimes coaches just make it really difficult of like, I, I have to trust this guy to play 70 snaps. Well, you, you don't. I mean, if you have guys that are really good at something, maximize that. It's, it's not not hard. Bruns, before you go, you've watched the game several times. Did the Isaac Gifford tackle on the screen get better on each rewatch? It was that I don't know how that play didn't go for more. Like <laughs> there were, there were two plays in that game that I was thinking to myself, like how the hell did this, like they were schemed up perfectly. Like it was the the opening pass play that Borkature would still be running. And then that, that play where they throw the screen over the blitzing defender. I mean, it was well executed or, or well conceived and Gifford just mucked it up. And credit to the teammates for for running it down from behind, but um, you know that that's a, a a guy that's basically a small linebacker taking up two blockers and letting everybody else come in and make the play. I mean, it was that that was a, a really really big play within the the course and flow of that second half. Um, and I, you know, we we were talking last week who's who's the MVP for the first half of the season. I think I think Gifford's probably in that conversation strongly with Hutmacher and. Uh, some of those guys. Yep, absolutely. BC, I asked Matt McMaster this on Sunday for the Sunday side session, and he gave me an answer I wasn't quite prepared for. I have, if if I try to convince you that Nash and, and Isaac Gifford are the top two players on Nebraska's defense right now, who's your number three? Um, You know what? Uh, it would have been Singleton prior to the injury. Um, but since he's been out for a while, uh, that's a good question. Ty Robinson is making a case for it. Like, and I know he didn't have a big statistical game, but it's interesting when you do watch review of the game and like how a player sets other guys up. And then you hear rule talk today. He's like, 
yeah, if you watch Robinson closely in that game, he improved his draft status by one or two rounds. Um, you know, that, that that was the type of performance he had. So I think Ty Robinson's up there. Um, Quinton Newsom's had a really just solid season. I don't think he should be taken for granted. He's going to play at the next level. And so I might say Newsom is my actual answer because uh, when you have a corner like that who you can just trust for the most part is not going to get beat deep and um, is also willing to be physical, um, those don't come around all the time. So I, I think Quinton is maybe the answer. But the 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 good part about this question is you could think of like four or five guys maybe, and that's uh, why this defense is strong right now because they're they're – there legitimately isn't much separation uh, after you get past maybe the first two guys you mentioned. Yeah. He gave the name and I, I wasn't prepared for this, but then I started thinking about it and I know he played well against Illinois. I know he flashed a couple other times this year. He was flashing again on, on Saturday. He gave the name of Jamari Butler as someone who just tends to, to kind of have his nose involved in stuff when he's been on the field. And so I'm, I'm curious what you thought of that. Yeah. The last two games, Butler, would maybe be top three. Um, so as far as risers and, you know, whose stock is certainly arrow up right now, it's Jamari's definitely there because um, he had one and a half sacks against Illinois, but he actually could have had about three and a half and he yeah. would be the first to say it. Um, I think he had one and a half TFLs this past weekend. And the thing I loved about Jamari right now is when the moment is when you need that play. Now he's starting to, you're seeing him become that guy. You know, it was after the Bushini punt to the 10 yard line where the game's in a precarious spot. Nebraska's got to get the ball back and score to make everybody feel easy. Jamari just dominates his guy on third down um, and, and gets that sack. And it was one of the top five plays of the game. You know, it really set up what happened, everything that happened after that. So um, he's definitely in the conversation and I'm happy for him because as you, you know, he came in as a raw prospect, yep. but one that we, I think we're excited about. And, but after a year or two or three go by, you start to be like, is this ever going to really happen? Like you hope. And it's starting to happen now. So you got to enjoy those stories when they pop up. Yeah. I, I'm going to transition here to, to work in a little bit of recruiting, but I think Nebraska's defense, Brian is at a spot where I think it is sometimes the most fun in terms of recruiting, because if you are a recruit, and Tony White and whoever your position coach are talking to you about this Nebraska defense, they're sending you clips. You know, you, you and, and Brunt's kind of hit on it. Like they've done a nice job of identifying what someone's best skill is and then putting them in positions where they can maximize that best skill. Like James Williams is in rushing the passer and he's able to maximize that. Jamari Butler is winning in critical situations because they're calling some blitzes that allow to put him in, in spots where he can beat his guy one-on-one -on -one, or he could come uh, bring extra pressure and, and do that sort of thing. Isaac Gifford is playing hair on fire in a rover spot that feels almost like it's completely designed for him. You have Nash in the middle of the defensive line as a wrecking ball. You have Ty Robinson on one of the edges providing the same sort of thing. It What I always think the key in recruiting is to go from that step where you're not selling – the dreams of the, oh, you could be the one that affects the change here. The real part of where you want to be is when you're like, well, this is what you're good at. And this is what our defense can do. And here's how you can fit into this. And then you start to think about the guys that can really transcend that, where it's like they're good at everything and they could get on the field all the time. But you still have this defense around it where you have all of these working pieces that seem to be executing. I just think it's easy to look at a Donovan Jones or, you know, recently committed Caleb Benning and think it's these guys are future rovers. They could play mm -hmm. that position. They can do what Isaac Gifford is doing. Maybe not to that level every time, but they certainly have that kind of potential. Uh, you know, you could look at Carlin Jones on the defensive line and think like we're a year away from that guy being in the conversation of, Oh yeah. Hey, look, are they going to use him for more than four games? Is he going to get enough reps? I mean, is he, is he spelling Ruquan Buckley here? Is he, you know, it, it just, it feels easier to place how someone can help you with what we're seeing out of this defense, because you can see them maximizing each individual's kind of best skill set. I mean, are you, did did I just talk around the entire point that I was trying to make? I I don't know. I, at this point, no. I think I lost the thread. 
No, I I followed it all the way. It was very. Right. Uh, I thought it was a pretty concise. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't concise. I, I lost it the was, point somewhere in there. It was definitely not concise. It wasn't concise, but it was. Uh, I thought it was precise. I thought it. I thought it. Uh, you hit the point you wanted. The other thing I'd add to it is when you're playing twenty to twenty five guys on defense, legitimate snaps. The, you know, I guess you could look at it the other way. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not going to – a guy could say maybe I'm not going to be that guy who gets 50 snaps a game, so they want something else. But I think it's going to be a, very appealing to a lot of young players who sometimes when they're going through recruiting are looking at their possible programs and they're – let's say you're in the secondary and you're like, okay, what's Nebraska have? And you start to do the numbers game. We used to do this around here where you'd oh, count yeah. like – you know, six to eight guys who are log jam in front of you and a, a, a player is thinking like, well, how am I going to get on the field for three years or four years? And now I think with the imagination they have and how they rotate and how they're playing these guys. Yeah, you could play, um, you know, that first year. And by the second year, you definitely could be a guy um, who's going to get, you know, 25 reps in a game. And that's a pretty good start to your college career. Um, and also the fact that they are showing a willingness and rule hits this point home. And I think it's aimed at recruits. It's he talks about, we will give you the chance to succeed. If you put it on film for us, like James Williams, put it on film for them enough where they said, all right, you get a role, you know, Makai Bayer like yep. went down and covered that punt or that kick return against Minnesota. And they already kind of liked him, but then he makes that play and It's like, all right, just, let's go another step with that. And they did it right away. Um, so I think, you know, recruits pay attention to that stuff and that matters. They, they say, okay, if, if I am who I think I am as a player, um, I, I'm going to get on the field with these guys right. cause they're not going to be scared to, to do that. So I, I think there's a lot of appeal on that side of the ball right now. Now on the Dude. offense, we could turn it real quick. And that it's the other question of, we need your help. Come on, come on. We need your help. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioning the Makai Bear thing now has me thinking, should I just make my pick to click on uh, the, the hype cast and on our, our what we're looking for? Should I just go with Lineham now because he had the big tackle on the on the punt? When Brian Buscini needed to flip the field, yeah. he hits the boomer, and you have Lineham right there to clean it up. Like, it was – it's this sounds stupid, and I acknowledge that it sounds stupid, but it is kind of magical when Nebraska plays special teams at a high level because it's so rare to see it just work exactly as it's supposed to. And that punt in that situation is 100% what they needed. He was punting into the wind. You're giving your team a lift. I think that was a drive right before they get a stop and then they get the ball back and they hit the they hit mm -hmm. the pass to, uh, to Malachi mm -hmm. Coleman. Like It was bing, bing, bing. The great punt, great tackle, sets up a quick, you know, possession for Northwestern's offense, which sets up good field position, which sets up the Malachi Coleman touchdown pass. Like it just, it, when it all works together like that, it just feels somewhat like, Oh, this is what football's supposed to be instead of so much of what we've watched in the last decade plus. Yeah. And these games are like where you're playing checkers or chess to set up something that's eventually going to happen. Like the, you, the, you're not going for the, the kill shot right away. Cause right. it just, you're not capable of it. And that's what the big 10 West is right now. It's very much a, a territory game. Like, okay, who has the real estate advantage? And then there's, there's always that moment where, okay, here it is. You got a strike. And that's what Iowa has succeeded at so well. Um, you know, despite, um, it being such an eyesore to watch, you got to give them credit that they, they know how to pounce in those moments. And that's what Nebraska is going to have to do down the stretch against teams who have, uh, really built themselves on being, uh, on that type of formula. The Huskers are going to have to do it even better than, than they do it. So that's going to be really interesting to watch. Timon Lineham's a good story too. I mean, uh, we talk about young guys all the time, but he's like a fourth year player who yep. most people didn't. They were asking on our board, is he still on the team in the summer? You he know, might be and, more than a fourth year player. Yeah. And he's always been a guy that coaches have liked as a good team guy and respected that he like he's kind of on the fringe of stuff, but was never there. And um, I think he's going to be important playing some snaps at corner down the stretch. So uh, good for him. All right, we're going to hit on two more things. Caleb Benning committed on Friday. 
big pickup, I feel like, for Nebraska's defense for a variety of reasons. I already kind of touched on it. It's easy for me to see a fit for him with what Tony White and Evan Cooper want to do. I I know that Evan Cooper thinks highly of him. And and I know that Caleb Benning has gone out in, in you know, a 1A to 1B type scenario. It's him and Carter Nelson for the best player in the state right now. And, you know, entirely different things going on both of their teams are undefeated both of them have visions of winning state titles at memorial stadium for their final high school game one of them playing 11-man football the other the freakish athlete that carter nelson is gets three less defenders on the field it almost feels unfair yeah should maybe be eight to 11 uh with that but so caleb benning you you get this commitment he's a legacy obviously with the the damon benning piece of it but more than that, I just feel like it's such a good fit for what they want to be defensively. He's such a competent, confident player. He he believes he's – I mean, he calls himself the Bud Crawford of football. I mean, so there's there's definitely a, a level of confidence there that isn't necessarily um, shows up when it's, you know, just pure flash or anything. But he just – he makes all of the right plays. I mean, I've watched Westside more than enough times. And certainly that state title game after missing everything with a broken collarbone coming back and picking off Zane Flores a couple times. I just – I think this is going to be one of those guys that it, he's not a star, fine, but he's going to be a, a good player for you over the course of his career. I mean, yeah, we've seen commits before to Nebraska and other places who they're committed and then you'll go show up and watch their games – and they're okay, but it's like, how did they really change the game? And uh, you bring up the state title game last year and what Caleb Benning did, um, you know, after the injury. That that's that's the kind of player he is. Uh, he just he's he is a game turner and a confident guy. I I I admire those guys because it's not easy to be an in-state recruit here deciding what to do. Everybody's wondering when's it going to be and all this. So it has to feel good to have that weight off his shoulders. Um, and also maybe a good sign about Carter Nelson. I know he took the Notre Dame trip, but uh, he was holding up signs at a Husker volleyball game recently. I would say that's a, that's a, positive. I don't, I don't think people need to worry about <laughs> Carter Nelson. I tried to say that last week and it felt like people weren't quite listening to it. And so let me reiterate again, I feel pretty good about Nebraska holding on to Carter Nelson. Um, you know, the photo of him and Daniel Kalen that Brunt's put out there <laughs> that was ripped off by no less than 15 Nebraska aggregate sites. You know who you are. You could at least give them the credit for the photo. It's not like you magically stop the same exact screen grab on your television that Brunt's did there. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was cool. That, that actually allows me to segue here real quickly. Great weekend for Nebraska. Nebraska athletics, you get a great win for, for football and people could laugh. I to me, that's a great win. Any win for them right now is a great win. Volleyball knocks off the number one team in the country, the boogeyman for that volleyball program. They did it in an all-heart five-set match where you're down two to one and you had to come back in the fourth set. You had to come back in the fifth set and you you win on a net violation, which is wild. But I think they were down 23. Uh, with a, I think they were down 23-21 um, going into – no, no, that's not right. They were down – I'm trying to think on that fifth or fourth set, they were maybe down like 22-20, something like that. They were able to to flip that thing around, end up winning the fourth set. They did it again in the fifth where they it felt like it had gotten away from them. They're they're able to flip it again. Nebraska soccer, congratulations to them, uh, winning the Big Ten tournament over the weekend, I believe, in Chicago. Um, Nebraska athletics, you know, Brian, it, there might be there might be some sun, you know, some sun peeking out behind the clouds that have been here for so long. Could be. Get the football team to a bowl game and things will really be looking good. I know Hoiberg's optimistic about basketball, but you're right. Like, so, you know, uh, when I was in college, um, you know, John Walker and that soccer program, it was really fun. They're playing over at the Abbott Sports Complex or whatever. You'd go out there in the little shed and cover it. But they were playing like elite eight matches, I remember, against like uh, Anson Dorrance, I think, was the coach at North Carolina. And some Notre Dame teams that were really good, like, people would play on like Olympic teams, you know? And so um, it'd be awesome if they sort of found that rhythm again, um, you know, to be a, in, in the tourney and, um, you know, making a run at it because uh, this, this place, the thing that does make it special, and I'm not going to just be too syrupy about this, but Nebraskans will get behind whatever they feel like is really, 
you know, putting out the, the results and the effort and, um, soccer is getting that attention like it deserves. And volleyball has to me been, um, everyone here knows it, but I think there's people around the country realizing how great of a sport that is to watch. It just has such an amazing rhythm to it. You know, with the, the one, two cadence setting up the spike and then is it going to get blocked? And it just like, I just love watching it and some of the unbelievable athleticism that's on display um, on plays that I, I would uh, die if I tried to do, if, you know, like if, if I try to reenact it. So it's, it's, it's great that that was the match that everybody hoped it would be. I'm going to correct a couple errors that I made in there. I congratulated them of winning the big 10 tournament. They won the big 10 regular season title. That's uh, even better. I, I said Chicago and they were playing in Champaign. So I had the right state. Just, uh, you know, it's pretty wrong. close. So there were there were errors, but they they deserve to be corrected in real time. Because when I said it, I was like, you said it completely wrong. We're, we're going to have to correct this. We owe it to the people. So once again, congrats to uh, Nebraska soccer. Congrats to Nebraska volleyball. Nebraska football potentially on the doorstep of a bowl game. Games against Purdue and Michigan State. They could be bowl eligible, Brian, as soon as November 4th. And here are some potential options. Detroit. For the Quick Lane Bowl, that would be on December 26th, I believe. December 23rd, the Las Vegas Bowl. December 26th, the Pinstripe Bowl. No, excuse me, that one's December 28th. December 26th, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl in Phoenix. Uh, you just rank those for me. Rank of one through four. You got Vegas, you get Phoenix, you get Detroit, and you get New York City. Put them in some sort of order. Uh, Detroit's last... New York City is uh, third. Um, wouldn't be terrible, though. Then it's kind of a toss-up. I think the one at Phoenix is one because I it would be thought of as a little higher up bowl, probably. Um, Big 12 opponent, too. You could set up a Kansas matchup, a Kansas yeah. State matchup. You get one of the new teams like BYU. And I always kind of feel like Nebraska has this foothold in Phoenix. They do. I think I made that up in my head, but I no. know there's a lot of foundation events and a lot of events that take place down in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. And I think there would be a pretty sizable contingent of Nebraska fans. Should they play in that game? If Nebraska can get to a bowl, um, they're going to travel really well, but if they can get to the Las Vegas or um, Phoenix, they'll take that place over for a bowl game. Like, you know, it'll be, it'll be a huge deal. Um, you know, first things first, I, I feel like this game this Saturday is so critical, like in, in trying to get there, it's not like they can't get there if they don't win. Um, but it really keeps the momentum rolling and I'm looking forward to this Saturday Schaefer. Cause I think, you know, this fan base knows this team's a hurting unit right now on offense, but they love the way the defense is playing. And I feel like this is one of those games where the crowd's going to like, just be enormous like you know like in trying to impact it and trying to will their team they know it's going to be like an ugly you know mud fight going in but they're going to try to to make them come out on top so i I think it's going to be a a good and it's going to be a little cold i think it's just going to have like more of a big 10 like something's on the line type of feel this weekend yeah and i think they're going to get a good shot from purdue coming off the bye yeah i I think ryan walter's really good coach i think that's going to be a solid program. And uh, I mean, I had no problem with that line coming in at, at one point because I think it's a total yep. toss up, but good luck to, to handicapping it. I would just recommend whoever, you know, if you're going to bet that just take the under instead, that seems like the safer play to me at this point in time. All right, Brian, uh, anything else you'd want to touch on here in the uh, Husker 24 seven podcast? No, I think we, uh, we covered about as much as we're capable of. Yeah, well, we're not capable for much, but we can blow yeah. uh, some hot air and talk for about 45 minutes. And that's what we did here again today. And another thing that uh, I'll mention real quick, Callum Barta decommits from Nebraska, flips over to Kansas State. I don't know that there was a, you know, if you get Caleb Benning, you lose Callum Barta thing. You can only have so many guys with the initial CB on your roster. I don't think there's anything quite like that. But uh, that was that was a nice find, I think, for Evan Cooper and for Nebraska staff during their camp series. I I find myself, Brian, looking forward to next June and what that could sort of look like. Because it, it feels like whether it's Jake Peters having a nice season in Cedar Falls or Landon Davidson in Broomfield, uh, you know, Callum Barta had a great year in, in Topeka. It feels like the staff had done a nice job identifying talent in their own camp. 
Um, and I think we're going to see some guys that are like, okay, well, they made offers, so I need to go to this camp. I They might have a more well-attended, more interesting camp roster than what we've seen around here because of success stories like Callum Barta, and they may not get to coach him, um, but it would be hard-pressed to say Nebraska didn't do a nice job evaluating and finding somebody that was right there in Kansas State's backyard, and it's understandable why he flipped. Yeah, we can get used to a little of that where they're going to um, be the first to spot a guy because – um, as rule said that they're, they're putting more hands-on attention in those June camps and other programs. Like they're going to have all their staff, like right on the spot, like judging guys. And we saw it with those offers and, um, you know, I don't want to dismiss the Callum Barta decision. It, it, it was maybe, uh, an expected one for him, but they really liked him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really liked him just like they, they really like like Rex Guthrie and guys like that. So they, they thought they had really found one there. So, um, it is a, a disappointing loss, but as you said, one that you probably uh, could see and you saw that was coming down the line if K-State came in with the offer. Yeah. Coming down the line at Husker 24-7, plenty of content at Husker247.com. More podcasts this week. We're going to have a special guest join us for the Husker 24-7 Hypecast. Get you fired up, get you hyped for the Purdue game coming up. It's an important one. And, you know, like the, the high school football playoffs are here. And I am... BC, I'm staring at a potential four and a half hour drive to watch Carter Nelson and Ainsworth play against the uh, Howells Dodge combination. Howells, one of the most historic football programs in the state. Mike Spires, still their head coach. Um, nothing's going to be a given for for Carter Nelson and Ainsworth. I think I think I'm going to be making that drive on Friday. We'll see. We'll see if I if I'm willing to to do a nine hour round trip before Nebraska plays Purdue on Saturday. Yeah, do that trip. That that'll be fun. Like uh, the going to those uh, those games, like where you can just pull up, like right along the fence line. Maybe that that that's always kind of a probably 30, 34 degrees at kickoff or so. I might have to stop by the uh, the same store that Matt Rule did to see if they have any yeah. parkies left. So we'll uh, we'll report back on that. Um, but plenty of high school playoff action later this week. I'll have some previews up of some of the different games and which Nebraska commits are playing and, and all of that and where people can catch it. So be sure to check that out at Husker 24 seven for Michael Brunts, who departed a little bit earlier for Brian Christopherson. I'm Mike Shaver. Thank you for listening and be sure to check out more Husker 24 seven content. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over guys. All stars Four is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts